Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining us to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior content journalist, Abigail Dawson. Hello. And our special guest and longtime friend of... Mumbrella PR publicist and event supremo Max Markson. Good day to you all. This week's topics. A new boss for WPP. The Heart Foundation's controversial ad campaign. Daryl Lee's Jan drama. And is PR a young person's game? But first we get to know this week's guest Max Markson. Max we were just reminiscing before the uh, before the tape started running that uh, it's it's just about 10 years since I first interviewed you on uh, on video although I I remember the first time I bumped into you because we were both doing some sort of uh, probably relatively banal segment on breakfast at the television or morning television probably like why things go viral or something yeah. and um i'd just been reading your first book uh-huh. on um show me the money yes and you'd mentioned your love of cream cake so i think i brought one along with me just you did. to get to know you thank you and i ate it and i'm always open to donuts cream cakes tim tams any food whatsoever so i feel quite bad that we we haven't provided any cakes That's on okay. this occasion i'll survive um and and i guess one of the excuses for you being back is that there is another book it is, yeah. On the road with Bill Clinton, Nelson Mandela, Kim Kardashian, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mike Tyson, Pele, Pamela Anderson, Tony Blair, and more. So the first book was about you. The second book is about the celebrities, I suppose. Yeah, I've, I've been very privileged, I think, over the last 20 years to have some of the most, the biggest names in the world. So I've done a chapter on each of them. So Mandela, Clinton gets a couple of chapters. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, Al Gore, Tony Blair, George Bush Sr., uh, Kim Kardashian, which we did with Michael Hill, the jewelers, and, uh, and Pele, and it goes on. And there's uh, Oprah Winfrey gets a mention in there, my brush with fame, uh, Raquel Welsh. Pamela Anderson for Big Brother, which was controversial because she was vegan and KFC was sponsoring the Big Brother uh, show. And she arrived, <laughs> went down and did a whole protest outside KFC, <laughs> which didn't upset, well, didn't upset me, but I'm sure it upset a few people. So um, one of the things I thought were interesting for the book was you give a few sort of hints on, on how you persuade these people to do business with you because, yep. of course, um, it – I guess your business has different models sometimes as a publicist, sometimes as the, the, the promoter effectively. Yes. Um, I thought it was quite interesting how you won over uh, Rudy Giuliani. You know, I, I went and saw him three times to New York and the, the first meeting I had with him, uh, I brought him uh, Churchill's book uh, or a book by Roy Jenkins on Winston Churchill. It was a thousand page book. And I said, I brought this as a present for you. And he says to me, Oh, I was reading that the night of 9-11, so I want to know how Churchill handled the Battle of Britain. And I said, the reason I brought it for you is because here on page 110 or something, Churchill came to New York and Mark Twain chaired his uh, dinner here, and he got paid £100. I want to offer you a lot more than £100 to come and do a tour of Australia. And we got him in the end, so it was good. And how, when you bring one of these big celebrities over, how does the economics work of the tour? Is it just about finding a room as big as possible, just jamming as many people in as possible like- as high a ticket price as possible. Normally, you know, I put my own money up, put a like, million dollars or whatever it is up, uh, US, and I do half a dozen events. And it's normally corporate dinners because I find it easier to sell 50 or 60 tables of 10 than it is to sell 5,000 individual tickets. And then I just uh, 
reach out to all the corporate sector and hopefully they'll buy tables. If they buy enough, I make money. If they don't, I lose money. And I've raised uh, over $40 million for charity from doing 200 events over the last 25 years. And John Singleton got me into it originally. Singo uh, calls me over one day and I went down to the Park Hyatt and he was sitting there with Graham Richardson, then sports minister, and Johnny Raper, who's a famous rugby league legend, immortal, still alive, thank God. And and we did this. He said, I want you to do a function for Johnny Raper like you did one for me. I roasted him for variety. I said, well, I'm happy to do it for variety, for charity, for free, but I don't want to, you know, I can't do it. For, so that we'll pay you like we pay you to do work for KFC and tourism. Mean, this is the 90s, 25 years ago. So I finished up doing this function and the committee became Singo, publisher called Kevin Weldon, Graham Richardson and Kerry Packer. And so we do one of these functions every year. And the function was the same function every year. Singo emceed it. Alan Jones did the tribute to the personality. Ray Hadley did the auction. Uh, a guy called Cold Joy, who was a famous singer, did the national anthem. Des Renford did the grace before the meals. Des Renford swam the English Channel 19 times before he found out there was a ferry. <laughs> and and we, every year... How so, many times have you done that, <laughs> A few times. Anyway, so we get... Chuck got 70 grand. The following year, we did it for Dawn Fraser. She got $240,000. following year, we did it for Betty Cuthbert, who got 260000 The following year, we did it for Raylene Boyle, who got $380,000. Then we did it for Red Gasney, who got 410000 We did it every year. And then after that, people started asking me to do events, and so I finished up doing a few hundred And you mentioned them. that sometimes you lose money. What's been, what's been the, the biggest disaster you've had? Oh, I lost about $1.6 million on one event. We, we won't talk about that. Let's yes, we talk. will. No, we don't want to talk about that. That was like a lot of money to And and what was it? Was it the wrong choice of person or the wrong time? I spent too much money on the talent. So I had uh, President Clinton and I also had Michael Eisner, who was uh, then the around the Walt Disney Company. He bought ABC TV for eighteen million dollars, and it was his. He'd resi- he'd left Walt Disney Company, and it was his first ever speaking engagement. It had Carly Fiorina, who'd been run Hewlett Packard. I just spent too much money on the speakers, and that was the the problem. And Max, throughout um, that quite extensive name dropping so far, you've mentioned some quite noble people that yeah. you've done work with, but. You're also known for working with people who many in the general public wouldn't consider to be noble. <laughs> Let's you... talk about Corey Worthington and Claire <laughs> Werbel off the Chick Chick Boom Girl. <laughs> yes, for example. Um, so how do you, I guess, justify to to yourself working with people that others wouldn't touch? I just answer the phone and if I can help people, I help them. So some when I'm reaching out to pay a million dollars to somebody, then I'm organising the event and I'm doing it for charity. I mean, the first President Clinton event, we cleared one and a quarter million dollars for, for the children's hospital. When I had Mandela, uh, James Packer hosted a private function. We had 20 people pay $25,000 a head. Uh, one of the Clinton events I did was 40 people at $50,000 a head. So, you know, that's my, when I'm putting my promoter's hat on. When I'm doing... Uh, celebrity management, then I'm just selling the story, uh, looking after the talent, trying to monetize for them or look after them. I mean, sometimes you can't help them, sometimes you can. So what about with um, Milo, the right-wing provocateur? He's described by some people, other people call him homophobic, despite the fact that he himself is gay. He's called sexist, he's called racist. Every negative ist you can think of is what he's referred to, you were sort of in charge of promoting his somewhat ill-fated tour in Australia. How did you sort of work with with that when he has such a negative brand perception here? Look, I was uh, employed uh, to uh, 
to one organize Milo, which I did the deal for that and got paid for that. Then to do the publicity for the talk, which I did that. Um, and then I coordinated. Uh, I finished up making Damien Costas, who's the publisher of Penthouse, bankrupt because he didn't pay his bills, which is common amongst Damien, but I shouldn't really, I could really stick the knife in, but I won't, right? Oh, uh, go but on, feel free. I'm owed a hundred grand bit. still. I'd love to get the money. That's what I'd prefer. But I did get paid for doing the publicity and I did get paid for, uh, for making the deal happen. Um, you know, at the time, nobody really knew who Milo was. I remember ringing uh, the head of news at one of the stations. I said, I've got this guy coming. They said, oh, yeah, he's the Greek finance minister, isn't he? I said, no, he's not. <laughs> Very think, much not. So I, I really knew that people didn't know who he was. And, um, of course, we, the tour was actually successful. I mean, they took over $1.2 million. We sold 12,000 tickets. We packed out everywhere. Uh, there were riots in Melbourne and riots in Sydney. We were, it was like... It was a hectic uh, eight, nine days. But it was a successful tour. The people coming to see him wanted to see him, as there is. You know, it's a freedom of speech thing. You get people on the left, people on the right. Uh, but it was really uh, scary in, in Melbourne. <laughs> like they were, it was like Robocops, like three or 400 police there and rioting outside. It's not quite how I wanted to spend a Monday night in Melbourne. Never have I heard someone speak with such joy about riots <laughs> and feeling threatened and uh, wasting police resources and whatnot. The, the sheer joy on your face, Max. Well, the, the wasting, I don't think it's a waste. I mean, I think it was the people that... The, the police in Melbourne said they were doing 10 days of riots. These people were going to find a complaint to do every day and riot. And that was just the way it was. Is there anyone you wouldn't work for? Yeah, David Hicks. So I don't know if you know who David Hicks was, but he was in Guantanamo jail. And he, uh, I'm Jewish, he's anti-Semitic. He also was fighting for the opposite side against the Australian army. And at the time when he was there, I was on the, uh, with Peter Cosgrove, who then was the chief of defence force. And I was on the committee to provide entertainers to go and visit our troops overseas. Um, it's just, I just didn't rate him. Um, Max, I have a little flashback to, uh, to me, one of those classic examples of how to handle crisis PR, yeah. which was, I can't remember what was being said about you at the time. I think it involved some sort of... Lara Bingle. Well, I think this one, this one was something to do with you and your car. But yeah. what I remember is a current affair yeah. tracking you down on holiday <laughs> on a beach somewhere. And you know how that normally unfolds when they, they find the, 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 the dodgy tradie in the camera and yeah. they run away and hide... And I, I just remember as you took the camera and you took them on a tour around the resort, <laughs> you introduced them to the person you were with who was a client and it became this 10 minute sales pitch yep. with, without the, 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 the terrified tradie running away. Exactly. Um, do you, I mean, I mean, it was, I'm sure it you was remember in March, the incident. March 2010. So I'd just uh, been looking after Lara Bingle. She split from Michael Clark. I was in the middle of all that. We had like 10 days of the front page and double pages in the Telegraph. Um, and then I'd all like eight months earlier, I'd agreed to go to a friend of mine's daughter's wedding in Mauritius. So I get over there and it was Twitter was in the early days. Then there was no Instagram. And I put a, a tweet up and a picture of me with a palm tree behind saying, you know, I'm here in Mauritius. Come and join me. Anyway, Cohen had been chasing me for a couple of weeks to do an interview about Lara Bingle. They wanted Lara. I said, would you interview Lara for us? Or I said, no, no, you know, we did this, what we'd done with uh, Women's Day. Anyway, so next thing. Ben Fordham is put on a plane to 
<laughs> and do me and get me. And at the same time, somebody from Today Tonight had put me in contact with this guy from Perth who was stuck in Mauritius, couldn't get out. He'd been arrested for some reason. His visa had overstayed his well. And I, so he'd come to meet me. And I said, look, I can help you. You know, we'll do a story, etc." So I'm with this guy. And Ben Fordham suddenly re- leaps out the bush and says, Max Marks says, oh, Ben, how are you? Look, meet this guy. He's got a great story. So what are you doing? He said, you're the story. No, no, not me. This guy's got a great story. You've got to talk to him. And it went from there. And then, uh, and it was the week because oh, I'm away when Laura Bingles should be in trouble, which she wasn't. She was fine. But it happens. But it was fun. I had fun. And I just used it as, a, as I always do. Not always, but I mean, I just turned it around to say, well, you know, this is what I do. This is how I do it. And I just take it. And I, you talk about, uh, you, you mentioned there it was, it was pre-Instagram. What do you think about the rise of influencers? Enormous. Enormous, it, and is that a good thing? Yes, it's it's an you know in in ten years time there might not be Instagram. Ten twenty years ago there wasn't social media. Social media is a now way of communicating. The advertising agencies and the advertising industry needs to embrace. I mean, I really hadn't thought much about it, but I've just started looking after all these married at first sight people, and they've got a quarter of a million followers. And I, put, I said, well, to put my name on your Instagram, and I'll handle your leads. And I'm getting people ringing up wanting to spend money. So I'm charging five grand for three posts and three stories or 10 grand. I've done a deal today for 20 grand US for somebody in the uh, who's here but has a million followers on Instagram. And there's a market there and you have to respond to the market. I always say if I'm trying to sell a story or do something, if the, the media aren't interested or nobody's interested, they're not interested. But people are interested. And I know a guy, Dylan, his name is, who runs Happy Skin. You can find it at Happy Skin Co. It's a $280 uh, hair laser removal thing. I'm feeling so used right now, Max. Yeah. No, no, seriously. No, no, because he's done $12 million worth of business in the last year and he's just done it off Instagram influencers. And he's expanded to America now. Pays, I did a deal with Grant Crapp who won Love Island for five grand of a year ago. Now he's using half a dozen of mine, but he's spending twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 US a time on an Instagram post. He's built a business purely on Instagram, purely on Instagram. And now on the Mumbrella cast as well. <laughs> yeah, but no, but that, that's irrelevant. I'm just using that as an example. So if, if you're running a marketing or ad agency in this country, you need to be aware that your clients want that. You know, they, they, you've got to... It, it used to be TV, the, press, radio. Now it's much more. And how long is the lifespan of the influencers? Like someone for Married at First Sight, how long are they actually got to cash well, in? Well, it might only be 12 months and there'll be another fresh set. But their engagement is really... You know, I'm speaking to Jessica Power this morning. If you've never heard of her, don't worry about it, right? But she's got like, she's going to be saying, oh, I've had like 12 million impressions this week. I mean, that's phenomenal numbers. And she's got 220,000 followers. So the analytics are all there. And when I speak to these companies, they say, can you show me the analytics? And I say, I'll ring the talents. They send me the analytics. And these analytics come and I send them. And they can see there's 86% of women watching this Instagram feed and 14% men. I mean, somebody's got an HR company reached out the other day from Melbourne. They want it, but they don't want the women, they want the men. So I've got to find, where do you find the men, you know? But it's, the girls who on there, most of them, are just, I say this nicely, are, you know, showing their breasts and their bottoms because that gets <laughs> followers and likes and stuff. But it's, it's a definitely a market that's there. And, and I just did a release saying, you know, I've got 6 million followers on Instagram. I haven't personally, but I've got... This woman in South Australia, she was on a TV show called Yummy Mummies. 
it came and went, if you remember, two years ago. But she had 60,000 followers. She rings me up and says, can you look after me? I said, why? And she said, well, Netflix is now showing it worldwide. My following's gone up to 480,000 followers. And she's earning money from it. You could, if, you, if you get 100,000 followers or 200,000 followers, you'll probably get a grand a week for the rest of your life. But how would you define an influencer? Would you say these, these are celebrities or influencers? No, they're not influencers. They're just people with a big following. So that, are they influencers? No, it's probably the wrong word to use. when We use it because that's the only way we can use it. But really, it's somebody who hasn't got much talent, has turned up on a TV show, has got 100 or 200,000 followers because they're pretty or smart or stupid or whatever. And next thing... They're getting, they're getting uh, you know, followers, and they can sell off that. And just before we move on, just winding back to something you mentioned earlier, you talked about uh, John Singleton, you talked about Alan Jones, this week signed his new contract with, uh, with 2GB. Is he worth the money, do you reckon? Worth more. Cheap at twice the price. Alan Jones, you've got to remember, if you know much about radio in this city, Jonesy was, was, Came from nothing. Kerry, he wanted to go into politics, and Kerry Packer said to him, and I did a dinner for Jones about nine or ten years ago, when we had James came and spoke and told the story as well, and John Howard spoke, and Singo emceed it, obviously, because I don't know who else who can emcee as well as Singo. Right? And, and he had done, I don't know, what he'd done on 2UE. Kerry Packer put him on 2UE and he had two hours a day. The next thing, that was back John, when 2UE was a thing. Yeah, and John Brennan was running it, and fantastic. Taught him, I'm saying, I say this nicely. I mean, he taught Jonesy radio. And Jonesy is the fastest learner I know, super smart. He finished up being on breakfast radio and was number one. And then in late 2001, Hadley had gone over to 2GB because Singo, Singo had 2GB and it wasn't. I actually had a show on 2GB at one stage, but they sacked. Chris Smith was running the station. They sacked me. Right. Why did they sack you? I wasn't rating at six o'clock to eight o'clock on a Sunday night. Hadley used to take the mickey out of me at these functions when he was doing the afternoon. You're right. I listen to you on radio. Nobody else does. Right. But the, the fact is that very few people can take an audience with. Sing, when Singo got Jonesy to come, and it was in March. 2002, right? And I remember because I got him to pers- Jonesy postponed starting on 2G for a week because I took him on the road with President Clinton. I had President Clinton here doing five events in eight days. We did Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney. And Hadley came and auctioned and we'd be coming home and having a drink. And Hadley had to go to work to do the breakfast shift because he was doing breakfast. And then Jonesy joined in March 2002. He's been number one ever since. So the audience went with him. The only other people who've ever done that is when Carl and Jackie moved from Two Day FM to Kiss. And that was a screw up of Two Day. Why would Two Day FM let them go? Look where Two Day FM is in the marketplace now. I think they're still asking themselves that question. Well, why, why would you do that? And that's the same thing. If 2GB would have let Jonesy go, it's not just Sydney, it's a Brisbane market as well. And he is, whether you like it or not, the most powerful man in radio and probably one of the most powerful men in Australia. And even I, I dropped him a note the other day. Um, <laughs> I said, proof again when Morrison won the election. You know, unless you get your, unless you get interviewed by Jonesy, you don't win an election, which Shorten wouldn't do. And and, and Jones has agreed we're launching a book for it's Gina Reinhart's uh, uh, book. It's a recipe book of the ki- things we love recipes from the Hancock and Kidman properties. And Jones has agreed to uh, launch it 
and Bronwyn Bishop's actually come too, which is good. And just before we move on, I, I, uh, there's also one other thing I have to zigzag back on. A couple of people you referred to, uh, Corey Worthington, who was the, yes. the guy who did that <laughs> that cross with, I think it was a current affair. Maybe current affair, Leila McKinnon. And um, Claire Werbeloff, Chick Chick Boom Girl. Where are they now? Well, Claire doesn't want to know about doing any because I get calls still. You know, will Claire do this? Will Claire do that? And she doesn't. I've spoken to her. She doesn't want to do what anything. What does she do and, now? I think she's doing like uh, uh, so, not social work, but care uh, or speech therapy. Something. She's on a proper proper job, proper 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 life. Corey, the last time I uh, I speak to him, but he did Ninja Warrior last year. But I had him do a campaign for Red Balloon. They did a TV commercial with him about two years ago, where he's uh, running along and his dad is in a plane, like scooping down to try and run him over. He's going, Dad, no, no, don't do that to me, you know. But you know, there's still I get phone calls from people still wanting Corey to do an interview. I sold his wedding to New Idea, I think, for five or seven grand or whatever it was. Yeah, you do things. Yeah. Next, a new CEO for WPP. WPP has announced its new CEO following the departure of Mike Conahan in October last year. Um, Abs, I might need you to help me with the pronunciation. Jens Monsis? I don't think I'll be much better than you, Tim. How don't even you, try Beth? and look at me. You know how bad I am at pronouncing <laughs> any name that's not really simple. Let's go with Jens Monsis, who joins most recently from BMW Group. Um, he'll step into the role in October this year, so there's a six-month way. Now... Uh, Abs, this is one of the reasons we've asked you to join us um, because um, this is very much your beat. I remember when we were trying to work out who the new boss of WPP was going to be and it was like, okay, well, they they need to know media agencies. They they probably need to know all of the trading relationships in Australia. They need to know creative agencies. And in the end, they've gone for somebody who has, appears to have none of those things. I got a lot of texts when the news came out saying – Oh my gosh. Uh, basically, I think, uh, you know, there certainly were a number of people that were quite shocked uh, by the decision. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's quite interesting when you think about it, you know, and I've sort of chatted to a couple of people in the industry and, and, and had a bit of a think since the announcement came out. And it sort of seems apparent that Mark Reed, the global boss of WPP, wanted someone client side who understands client digital transformation and how clients works as well as um, the procurement process Um, and uh, obviously wanted an outsider with no ties to Australia and I think if you look at the kind of transformation that WPP AUNZ has been through, um, almost gutting the Australian operation in terms of leadership, Uh, you know, you had Executive Director of uh, Marketing Technology Adam Good come in uh, recently and also Sunita Gloucester as well. So they're sort of two people from outside WPP that have been brought in as well. And then I also think, uh, you know, they they wanted someone who has coordinated large consulting streams before and, as I said before, understands procurement. But I think the challenges with with that is that there's no local client relationships uh, that he has. There's there's no agency management experience. Uh, He'll be working for a publicly listed company as well, which is is something quite different. And, uh, you know, from, from from a... margin point of view that that makes running a business quite quite difficult um and and you know the other thing that sort of came into my mind when i saw the announcement was that this was more of sort of wp's consulting play that they've 
kind of been making bit by bit, uh, you know, but WPP has a lot of P&Ls and cost centres without a clear strategy and, and also some legacy issues, which I think is going to be a big challenge for him coming into this role. And Viv, to me, the other thing is just, oh, I mean, there's a reason why it's its going to take so long for him to get in post, but it just feels like things are going to drift a bit longer. Well, I mean, Mike Conaghan, who was the CEO of WPP, left, I think, around October last year. So that's a year without a dedicated CEO. And I know that they've been muddling through without it, but that's a really long time for your competitors to creep up on you and to really establish themselves in the market and to spread that discontent. One of the things that was really quite clear when I wrote this story in the general perception of the market is that it's a bit of a slap in the face to the internal candidates at mm. WPP from Australia. I genuinely don't know who they were, but the genu- the general consensus seems to be that there were two Australian WPP people in the running for this role and to not get it and to get it from someone in Germany who's in a marketing, not an agency side role is really quite clearly saying we don't want what you have to offer. So I think there is a bit of discontent within WPP and around WPP. And you're right that with a full year for that to fester, a lot a lot can happen. And I'm sure there are reasons he can't get here sooner. I mean, he's got to move his entire family over from Germany. I moved from Bondi to Tamarama and almost had a breakdown. So I can only <laughs> imagine how difficult that would be. But a year without an installed leader is probably too long. And it's definitely a different direction as well. But, I, you know, I don't think that that's a surprise to anyone. As I said before, WPP, AUNZ have have made a lot of leadership changes, you know, in their agencies as well. But I kind of think exactly what you said. It's going to take a really long time for Jans, I think that's how you say it, um, to, yeah, kind of learn about running a big holding company, especially in a time where holding companies are really having to transform themselves. Max, your thoughts? Well, WPP is the holding company. So who are the major agencies in WPP? And presumably they've got bosses who are running their companies really well and making a profit, correct? Yep, yep, correct. So, you know, WPP have agencies like White Grey, VML, YNR. They've also got Group M, so Mediacom, um, a, lo- a lot of different media agencies. and Plus the PR agencies, obviously. Ogilvy's still there and all that? Yep, OPR, Pulse Communications, uh, all, all of the PR agencies as well. And, and, you know, to Viv's point there, you know, when I was hearing sort of speculation about who would be the WPP AUNZ boss, a lot of people were leaders within the WPP business. Yeah, but the, the, all those leaders are still there and they'll be running their businesses and presumably they've got some sort of back-end deal. If you're right at the top, you know, you, if you look after your own backyard, you'll be fine and you'll still earn money and you can maximise your money. So I don't think it's going to, you know, the individual agencies have their individual clients and that's the, at the end of the day, that's all, you know, if you look after where you are, you'll be fine. Well, next, the Heart Foundation pulls at the heartstrings. So the Heart Foundation in Australia unveiled its latest ad campaigner, which has gained a lot of attention. Not all of it good. Let's have a listen to the clip. Every time I told you I loved you, I was lying. You are not my priority. I promised you my heart. I've given it away. 
In time, this family will be filled with loss and sadness. But I won't care, because I'll be gone. If I really loved you both, I'd protect my heart to protect yours. But I don't. Because it's not just my heart I don't care about. It's yours. So, Max, I'm going to come to you on this one first. There's some pretty tough lines in there. It's emotional. It, you know, almost makes you cry, but it's emotional and it's good. It reminds me of when Simon Reynolds did the Grim Reaper campaign. Help me. That must have been in the 90s, I presume. Yeah, that was Ita, when he was at Grey Advertising. When, when Ita was the running the AIDS council or whatever before she became chairman of the ABC. I managed her at one stage, uh, about five years. <laughs> we did the Ita Buttrose treadmill. Um, the Ita Buttrose uh, treadmill? Yeah, we'd sell it on morning TV and we had we earned a lot of money from the Ita Buttrose treadmill. <laughs> well, was, you know, ring now. And I'm going straight to YouTube to see if Oh, you've got to use it. That's the managing director of the ABC or cha- no, chairman of the ABC. But come back to the Heart Foundation. Great campaign. Cuts through. It makes you stop and look. It's different to any other advert on air at the moment. So, yeah, it gets 10 out of 10 from my point of view. See, my big question, I've really... It's, I'm going to be writing about it for Best of the Week at the weekend. And it's one of those ones I don't think I'll fully know until I actually sit down to write it what I think. That question for me is, how will people who've been affected by the death of somebody with heart disease actually feel to to hear that line i i was lying when i said i loved you i think you know i'll come back to that in a second tim but uh, this campaign i i'm I'm with max i i I really liked it and i think uh, a lot of people are are complacent about heart health and and being proactive in, in making sure that their heart is healthy you're going to need something that has a bit of a shock value and something that is going to actually make you think about checking your heart and and why it's important as well and I, there's there's a line in there which i think is is the best line and um, um i think would have made a fantastic tagline and that's i'd protect my heart to protect yours and that's the premise of it right is it's you know getting you to think that your heart health doesn't just affect you it affects your family as well and this has had a lot of controversy and this is something that i said to you tim but i just I think if this is something that's getting so much controversy from the Australian public, what what does that say about the state of the Australian advertising industry? Well, let me bring in Viv, like, because it, it, it there is a strong argument. It's worth it to upset some people if it saves some lives. Yeah, so I don't think it will surprise anyone uh, to know that I disagree with Abby and Max on on this one. <laughs> um, and Abby just mentioned that the ad has really made people think, but there's a difference between thinking and acting. So maybe in a year's time I'll be proven completely wrong, and I hope I am because if it saves some lives and I've been a bit upset by an ad, then, you know, I'll, I'll cop that. We We can't know that yet until we see the results. But I do just think this ad has got people thinking and talking. I don't know if that necessarily translates into behaviour change and action. I know so many people who have someone in their life who died from heart disease and their reaction is, you know, lots of expletives like how how dare you, sometimes heart disease can be genetic, sometimes it can be totally unexpected. So it's not always about not caring about your heart or not caring about your family or not taking action. You can be a perfectly healthy person out for a run and drop dead and it's people who've had that in their lives that feel like the ad is just super insensitive, really grotesque and just coming after families and and blaming that and playing the guilt card instead of 
getting people to own their health and and shine the light on the love. It, it's that really sort of nasty guilt is what some people are feeling. Max, you know, if I'm McDonald's and I've got two hundred million dollars a year to spend, uh, I can be careful with my adverts. What am the Heart Foundation? They've probably got nothing to spend. They're probably trying to do it on a, 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 a the smell of an oily rag. I mean, they really haven't got the budget. So they have to do it through creative. And if creative creates controversy, then that works from, from my point of view. And, and if there's people out there who have lost people because of heart disease, well, that'll, if it was me, I'd embrace it because this is going to help. If they would have seen this advert five years ago, then it would have made them either there's sure there's some with congenital ongoing problems but there's others who are just overweight and eating too much ice cream and chocolate like me i i agree max that controversy can work and obviously you know that and i don't need to tell you that i don't know that the heart foundation has properly capitalized on this controversy so perhaps it was the strategy or perhaps it wasn't and they've ended up here I don't think they've run with it in the right way you know the 60 second tvc which featured the various mothers telling their young children that they lied when they loved them caused a lot of controversy then they pulled the ad from youtube that's not the right strategy in my mind if you're going to stick with it and you're going to say hey we don't care that we've upset people because this is what we want to achieve don't pull it from youtube you know don't back down they they needed to to stick with it and actually ride out that controversy or or make it worse even not not back away and and say that they're sticking by it whilst also getting it off YouTube so that people can't share it anymore. So I'm just not sure where they sit. Are they sticking with it or or are they backing down? I think they've done the job. They've got the controversy. They've got people talking about it. They've put it up. They've taken it down. Maybe they haven't got any more money to spend anyway. And YouTube doesn't cost them anything. But by pulling it off, oh, we're sorry to the people we are. But I mean. They've done the job. That's what they want to do. Now, if memory serves, you've worked with Ultratube. I was going to bring that up myself. Yes, I have. <laughs> what happened? I, I had Mike Tyson here in 2012, and Sean Buckley came to this. We had a private dinner for Mike in one of the cities, and he was at in Melbourne. And, uh, and he said, what can you do for me? I said, what's the company? He said, Ultratune. And I said, well, it's pretty boring. You've got to make it more sexy. It's just car parts and stuff and fixing cars. And, of course, then he went and did all these rubber girls <laughs> obviously got a lot of controversy and a lot of publicity. And I organised Jean-Claude Van Damme for him and then had Mike Tyson. I looked after Charlie Sheen last year when he was doing that. He wants O.J. Simpson. And I got O.J. Simpson for him, but then he wouldn't do it. Do you want to hear what the advert was going to be? This Please. is the advert, the O.J. Simpson ad. So the overhead shot is you see the uh, white Bronco going down the highway. Then you go inside the car and there's O.J. driving the car and the rubber girls are there sitting along with him. Then it sort of bumps like as though he's lost the tyre and the girls say, you better pull out, we've got to call Ultra Tune Road Service to come and fix the tyre. And, and O.J. says, no, we're on Ultra Tune run-free tyres, we can keep going. So... That was the advert. OJ was up for doing I contacted OJ to, to do the deal. I had the deal. We had to go and film it in Las Vegas, which was fine. They filmed Tyson in Las Vegas. But then uh, Sean, funnily enough, actually said it's going to be too controversial. I don't want to do it. Oh, so even Sean has a line. Even Sean has a line. Who knew? I'm disappointed that you didn't do that ad for Mumbrella's Traffic, but I think I'm <laughs> secretly relieved that that ad is not going to see the light of day. I'll do it for someone else. I can go OJ Simpson. <laughs> Next, Yellow Pages. Not happy, Jan. So we saw the return of an Aussie TV icon in Daryl Lee's newest creative. 
Jan from the infamous Yellow Pages, Not Happy Jan ads, returned in the new campaign. Deborah Kennedy reprising her role, her starring role as the grumpy boss. But this time it's no worries, Jan. Let's hear a clip. Jan? Jan? Where's our ad in the directory? Keep calm. Count to ten. One, two... Three, four, nine, ten. No worries, Jan! Daryl Lee makes it better. Now, it turns out there were some worries, though, from Yellow Pages, who, it would appear, hadn't actually been asked by Daryl Lee if they could use this intellectual property and have uh, sent a cease and desist note shortly before we started recording them. So let's start with the ad. Um, Abby, you, you're, you're, you, you enjoy keeping an eye on the, the, the creative world. Is it a good strategy or is it just a bit lazy to nick someone else's idea? I think it, actually, and, and Max, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, but from a, a PR strategy perspective, I actually think it's pretty smart. A, a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are familiar with it. They watch the ad and, and they want to see where it's going. And yeah, pe- people are going to talk about it as well. And for Yellow Pages as well, you've got their brand recognition in there. So, you know, I, th- I think that's quite smart. I, I was a big fan of the ad. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was clever um, and, and quite brave, actually. But I would be interested on your take on the, on the PR strategy. Look, the PR, it's fine. It's the taking off the advert. If, if Yellow Pages are going to cease and desist, it'll just kick it along a bit. I don't think it was the greatest ad in the world, uh, not the worst. In terms of um, if you're making a movie and you can get a franchise out of it, so you know the current hottest movie in the well, probably the second biggest ever of all time is the Avengers movie. So that's part of 22 franchise movies for Marvel. And so you've got Jan, who's already a character, so you haven't got to establish the character. So that was smart in that sense. But, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd err on the side of lazy creative. Isn't that dreadful? <laughs> I just feel sorry for anyone called Jan. I feel like they finally, <laughs> finally got to move on from the not happy Jan and now it's been brought back uh, into the vernacular and I feel like now Jans have another 10 years of people making fun of their name. But I tend to agree that it is a bit lazy, particularly when it seems like they didn't even check with the Yellow Pages and and its parent company census whether or not this would be okay. Perhaps they could have had more fun with it and been more creative if they had been collaborative, whereas because it seems like based on this cease and desist letter and based on the potential legal ramifications of this, that they've tried to sneak it through and hope that census will just have some goodwill about their, their tagline and have some goodwill about this take on their creative and that doesn't seem to have come off. I mean, I would say though, ever since I've seen this ad, I have been thinking about Daryl Lee. Like it, it's in my mind. The product is in my mind. I recognize the ad. I like the ad. I went, I, I went and I actually bought Daryl Lee today. Are you I, saying advertising works? <laughs> uh, maybe I am. Whereas I really wanted to just go and look something up in a telephone directory. <laughs> well, that's the other side of it. I mean, it's good for the... Yeah, like, right? I'm the first one watching the advert. I think it must be who advertises in telephone directories anymore they don't and and then all of a sudden it turns it on to you with the Dow Lee stuff so I don't know if, it, if, if it's wasted like 27 seconds to get to the plug for Dow Lee well next is PR a young person's game 
So Susan Redden Makatoa, have I pronounced that right, Abby? I think you have. Oh, thank you. Uh, wrote an opinion piece for us this week on why the cliche that communications is a young person's game needs to be rethought. Having spent 25 years in the industry, Susan moved into recruitment and says that she regularly sees candidates who worry that they're too old. Now, I must admit, I, I in a best of the week a few weeks back, wrote about somebody who'd, who'd left a big job. And I kind of you know, I said something like, you know, he's in his 50s. He's got at least one more big job in him. And somebody, a, a senior executive, actually dropped me a line to challenge that as ageist thinking. And I think that was probably a a, a, a good point but also it's a reality in this industry that mo- you know most most people skew younger um, max i was trying to do the calculation i think you started marks and sparks 38 years ago would it be 1982 yes so that's 37 and i started working in business when i was 17 which was in 1970 actually before i turned 18 in 74 so i'm 63 this week so do you week. well happy birthday Thank for that you. do you think communications is a young person's game look i always remember when i worked at 2ws in 1980 to 82 and and we were then based in seven hills and it was ws stood for western sydney and we come and speak to the ad agency people in north sydney they'd never been to Parramatta or any or blacktown or campbelltown they didn't know where their market was i mean if you're sitting here and you don't so that was when they were young people you have to realize i think that the older you get the more experience you get and it's crazy to chuck people out when they're 50 or 60 or 70 if they can still work and they want to work, you've got to have an energy about it. You've got to want to do it. They've got to be a passion about it. I mean, I love working. My, one, of my, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, said to me, um, you know, are you ever going to retire? I said, no, I enjoy what I do. You'd, I think I'd die if I stopped working. I love working. And why are you doing it now? Presumably you're comfortable enough that you don't need to anymore. I've still got a mortgage. I mean, you know, it's a very expensive house. How have you got but, to the point where you still have a mortgage? It's a you've bloody been, expensive house. You've been bringing house. in millions a year. <laughs> the spending more, the it more on. money you have, the more you spend, <laughs> Correct. That's what happens. Yeah, stay with us. We can't all go and live in your place in Tasmania, but we will when you invite us, right? But no, I just think if you like working, you've got to work. I come to work every day and I enjoy working and I enjoy... And I just love it. And I love being relevant and doing stuff, whether it's the Married at First Sight, which is... I rang up, you know, I rang up uh, Steve Burling as the EP for the Today Show. I said, I've got a week of great ratings for you. He says, go on, what? I said, do a Married at First Sight week. Be- and bring up all the stars. They just won the ratings 40 nights in a row and you've dropped them. You've- they can't go on TV anywhere else. You've got them under contract. Put them on. You do a morning of having them all. You'll did he thank you week. for the advice? He did. He said, I'll get on to it. <laughs> so, but, but you've got to use what you've got. But no, whether it's a young person's game. Look, if you've got the brain there, I think Singo's still super smart. You know, and he's, what, 78 or whatever. Well, that is just about it for this week. But before we go, I hope that it hasn't escaped your notice that Mumbrella 360 is imminent, now less than a week away. In fact, it all kicks off next Tuesday afternoon with our networking before the conference on the Wednesday morning. The Mumbrella 360 programme has got a lot to be excited about. Can't tell you about it all because we just have to go for a whole extra podcast. Some of the big names. Uh, Matt Baxter, global CEO of Initiative, returning to Australia. Plus, uh, Viv and I will be chatting to Matt and to Mike Wilson and to Adam Ferry, the three founders of Naked for 
next week's Mumbrella cast will be doing a special live recording at Mumbrella 360. We'll also be chatting to Matt Knapp, who's ECD for Dollar Shave Club, another international guest. And it's also worth mentioning we'll be talking about the Heart Foundation. Uh, Mark Ritson will be interviewing on stage Chris Taylor, the Chief Marketing Officer of the Heart Foundation, mainly about the serial killer campaign, which was the one they did with News Corp on the front pages of News Corp. But they will also address this week's controversy as well. So one thing is for sure, there is something on the programme to excite everyone and there is not long to grab a ticket. Go to mumbrella360.com.au and take a look at the programme and I hope we will convince you. That is it for this week though. Thank you everyone. Thank you Vivian. Thank you. Thank you Abby. Thank you. And thank you Max. Thank you. Toodle pip. (laughs) 